You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, A leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he entered Capernaum, A centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does. And he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought him to many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. This is the word of the Lord for our church, and it is given for our good. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Blessy. This time I'd ask you, let's pray, and then we will spend time reflecting on God's word. But first, would you pray with me? Let's pray. Lord, it's already been a busy morning, and there's much to be distracted by, and yet we trust your word has great power in our lives. So would you speak now clearly through this, your word, so that we might be your people, loving and serving you all the days of our lives, and confident of your great love for us in Christ. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I recently was sent a Joe Rogan interview clip. Don't worry, I didn't spend like nine hours listening to a full Joe Rogan interview. Uh, but I was sent a little clip on YouTube of a country music artist named Jason DeFord. He goes by the name Jelly Roll. Wasn't familiar with him. Uh, he's a country music artist, but he has face tattoos, so just let that settle in. Uh, and uh, in this particular interview, someone sent it to me and said, I think you'll find this interesting, which is always you know, scary when you click play on the YouTube video. Uh, but in the interview, he tells a story of his daughter becoming a Christian, a very seri- becoming very, very serious about her faith. And he it tells a story about how she was on his case to visit, uh, his, to visit her church, and eventually 
he was able to go and visit her church. And he wrestled through the way uh, in this interview that he actually found at church something that he needed, something that was good for him, uh, something that was helpful. And he ended up writing an entire album about this experience of visiting this church and how it felt right. But he described his album as something of an experience of what he had at church with also something that was missing. He described his album as worship music for sinners. Okay. And in one of the songs that he sang, at least on the Joe Rogan, song, uh, Joe Rogan podcast, he said this. Uh, the lyrics of the song are this way. The song's called Need a Savior. I didn't necessarily recommend it, but here's what he says. I only talk to God when I need a favor, and I only pray when I ain't got a prayer. So who the blank am I, who am I to expect a savior if I only talk to God when I need a favor? And there's a bit of a musical interlude, and then he says this, but God, I need a favor. Now, I listen to the whole song. It's not good theology, okay? There's, not, there's some bad theology in the song. Uh, I wouldn't recommend anything I heard from the album as well. However, the, the lyrics of this song stuck with me, and he gets something right. He has some real clear sense of who he is and some real desperation that exists about uh, the situation he's found himself in. There's a measure of honesty to the song that just seems so fitting. And I was thinking about it as it relates to what we're coming up to in Matthew's gospel. You see, we've been looking at uh, Matthew's story of Jesus, this biography of Jesus, and we've been for the past, actually, I think since February, reflecting on the Sermon on the Mount, this sermon that Jesus gave where he talked about his kingdom and all that will come uh, from his kingdom. And it's possible, if you're here visiting, you might think, well, you know, this is what it means to be a a Christian, to be people who listen to sermons like this and uh, have intense ethical teaching and obey that ethical teaching, to be people who have, you know, a a strong allegiance and follow that allegiance. And yet, uh, Jesus' ministry is so much more, it's so much denser than that, okay? He's not just here to teach us things that we're ignorant of, of, he's come to actually be a savior to us to be someone who's come to rescue and to help us. He's not just here to correct our ignorance. He's here to to rescue us in the midst of despair and desperation. He's here to rescue people who realize that they only cry out to God when they need a favor, but who are in a situation in which they need a favor, favor. And we can understand something of this because the Sermon on the Mount has had such beautiful teaching about God's kingdom. It's a place where all of us, I think, would want to live, where enemies are loved perfectly from a pure heart and where we hear God's word and do it, a picture of the world made right. And yet there's a measure of desperation that probably has come upon us these past couple of weeks as we wrestle through the Sermon on the Mount. There's a measure of of desperation if we're honest with ourselves, that we are not the type of people that love and have piety from a pure heart. We're not the type of people that love our enemies as ourselves And what we need is more than just a teacher. We need someone to come and rescue us. And not just rescue us from the predicament of this sort of moral problem that we're in, but rescue us from this mess that we're in all around us, including sickness, disease, sin, and conflict. And in this passage, there's three stories. You just heard them read. Three stories where Jesus is coming and he interacts and heals three different individuals. What I want to look at is these three stories. I want to ask, what kind of Savior must we need if Matthew wants us to see Jesus through this, these lenses, okay? I think Matthew's giving us these three stories to show us the type of Savior that we need, the type of Savior that we need. So there's three pictures of the type of Savior we need. First, uh, let's look at this first interaction. It's from verses 1 through 4, and let's ask this question, what type of Savior do we need? Who does Jesus encounter in this first interaction, the first four passages? A leper. 
A leper comes and kneels him. He's just preached this tremendous sermon. He's coming down from the mountain, and he's greeted by a leper. Now, a leper uh, was a different disease, or it was at least more than what we call Hansen's disease. It was a whole collection of skin disorders, some of which were very contagious and deadly, some of which just made you ritually unclean. The leper, though, knows something, and he tracks down Jesus, and he knows that Jesus can make him clean. He comes to Jesus. Maybe he's heard stories about the work that Jesus had done elsewhere. Maybe he's heard from this sermon that Jesus is teaching with great authority. And he comes to Jesus because he has a need. I don't know if he's reflected on, say, Isaiah 6, where Isaiah felt unclean in front of, our, in front of God and this vision that Isaiah gets and the, the Lord, through an angel, finds a way to make Isaiah clean. I don't know if he's reflecting on the story of Naaman from the prophet Elijah, but the leper knows that if he can get to Jesus, something's going to happen, and he comes to Jesus, and he asks what? Does he ask that his sins would be forgiven? What does he ask? Does he say, if you're able, what, is, what, is, what does the leper say? He says, if you're willing, Jesus, make me clean. You see, the leper was ceremonially unclean, and because of the danger of this particular disease. There were all kinds of laws to protect God's people from the spread of these skin diseases. In fact, I read this week in the Talmud, the sort of commentary on the Old Testament, that it was recommended, you won't, you won't even believe this, but guess how far away you were supposed to be from someone who had leprosy? Yeah, two meters, right? Uh, it's just, these were, this was original social distancing laws. Uh, the people with these leprosy were considered um, unclean. Maybe you could think of the way you go into a hospital. And there's certain stuff that's unsterilized, and there's certain things that are sterilized. In some senses, the lepers were considered unsterilized. And they had to stay away from this holy society that God was creating, which was supposed to be sort of sterilized. And this leper comes to Jesus, having been commanded by God's law to wear torn clothes and to keep his hair long and to cry out unclean wherever he goes. And he comes to Jesus, and he knows something about Jesus He knows Jesus can make him clean, but what he doesn't know is this. He doesn't know if Jesus will make him clean. And that's why he asks, are you willing to make me clean? Are you willing? This is a fundamental question that we all find ourselves asking. Not so much if people are able to deliver us, but if they're willing. We know there's people out there who can rescue us from whatever predicament we find ourselves in, but what we don't know is whether or not they're willing. The song One Republic by the pop band that I never listened to, but I'll quote, says this, uh, Would you rescue me? Would you get my back? Would you take my call when I start to crack? Would you rescue me? Would you rescue me when I'm by myself, when I need your love, or I need your help? Would you rescue me? Would you rescue me? It's a nagging human question we have. We know there are resources out there, but is anyone willing to deliver us from the predicament we're in? Last week, I read a New York Times piece. Uh, I'll leave the details vague because I don't want to shame this officer any more than he already has experienced, but of an officer, a police officer, who was at a school during a police shooting. And he was the first person on the scene, and though he was the only one bearing lethal force, he stayed far away from the shooter in another building, hiding. And he's likely to go to jail for what he's done. He was able, he had the power to rescue these children from the predicament they found themselves in. He was unwilling. The leper goes to Jesus and he says, are you willing? And what does he find in Jesus? He finds someone who has the force, the the means necessary to deliver, who is absolutely willing. This is the type of Savior we need. We need a Savior who is willing. 
And Jesus says, not only am I willing, he goes far beyond. And to this man who may not have been touched for years and years of his life, who hadn't had the joy of feeling a hug or a handshake, who hadn't, hadn't felt any human touch, Jesus touches him. And Jesus says, your uncleanliness, the destructive power of your uncleanliness has met its match in my holiness and my cleanliness. You are clean. Now go to the priest, be restored to society. You are well. Jesus is what type of Savior? He's a Savior who is willing. He's willing to be involved in the mess we're in. Listen, I don't know what you are going through right now. And I don't know what you are crying out to God for or maybe refusing to cry out to God for, but listen, the type of Savior Jesus is, is a Savior who is willing to get involved in your mess. He touches a leper. It doesn't taint him. It doesn't infect him. I do not know what you're going through, but do not question this. The Savior we have is a Savior who's willing. What type of Savior do we need? We need a Savior who's willing, one who will run towards the danger or the uncleanliness. And what we're being presented with here is a story where we know you never need to ask whether or not Jesus is willing. But Matthew then gives us another healing. Jesus moves to Capernaum, which will be his home base, something like cottage country on the northwest coast of the Sea of Galilee. This is a trade post. This is where he'll be doing a lot of ministry in his time. And in, in Galilee, he, in Capernaum, sorry, he encounters a centurion. This was, a, let's say, a Roman general who had command of at least 100 soldiers, maybe more. And he's in uh, Capernaum. Why? Because he's part of the occupying army. He's there to make sure there's no rebellion, no, no uh, uprising against the Roman authorities. He's making sure the Jewish identity stays in check and make sure that they never forget that Rome is in charge. He drills his soldiers through the streets to instill fear in the minds of the people of Israel. And the centurion, though, is in a predicament because his servant is unwell. A servant that he loves, he's suffering greatly. And he comes to Jesus and he appeals for help. Now, we've already had one story of Jesus with a leper. What do we expect Jesus to do? Well, we know that he's able. We know that he's willing. And he tells the centurion, fine, I, I will come and I will, I will heal your servant. And this could be the climax of the story, but it doesn't end there. In fact, this sort of tension just keeps rising, gets getting stronger and stronger, because what happens next? The centurion says, Jesus, listen. I understand how authority works. I, it takes authority to recognize authority. I am a man with people under my authority, but I know that you have an authority even greater than mine. I, do, I say to soldiers, do things, and they do things. I know whatever authority you have transcends any sort of geographic location. And in a mysterious way, the centurion embodies a type of faith, a greater faith than anyone, Jesus says, than all of those who've encountered him. He knows that Jesus has the power to heal and even heal from far away. His authority wasn't bound by geography. His word comes with power. And he lets, the centurion lets Jesus know that he knows his authority. And he says, don't come to my house. Why? What does he say in verse 8? I'm not worthy. I am not worthy for you to be in my house. Now, why does the centurion feel not worthy? I'm not sure. It couldn't be because he didn't think he was of high enough social standing. He certainly would have been high in the social rung. More than likely, he understands himself to be not worthy, and as it relates to standing before the Savior and Rescuer of Israel, the one who had come to make all things right. Here he was, part of the occupying army. He was a Gentile. He wasn't even invited very far into the temple on his tour, and yet he knows that he needs Jesus, and he comes and he says, I am not worthy. Just say the word. 
Some time ago, uh, I was heading to Winnipeg for a conference, and I was on the plane, the door had shut, we had pulled away to taxi, and there was a long lineup of, of planes to taxi, and I got a phone call from Kim. Yes, I didn't turn my phone off like I was supposed to, but I got a phone call from Kim, I ignored it, I texted her, I said, what's wrong? Uh, I, you know, we're on the runway or whatever, I can't answer, and she sends me a text saying, accident, it's bad. She sends me pictures with my daughter, you know, with some blood on her head, and, and she says the ambulance is coming. And I panicked, as, as any father would. I panicked. And I paged the stewardess. I've never actually used that button on purpose, but I used it on purpose. And the stewardess came. We were sitting still. There was a long lineup. There was some problem with the runway. There was a long lineup to take off. We weren't going anywhere. And I said, listen, my wife has been in an accident. I've got to get off this plane. I need to, I need to go see my, my children and my wife. She said, okay, I'll talk to the pilot. She came back and she said, has there been any fatalities? I said, there's been no fatalities. They're just severely hurt. And she went and talked to the pilot. She said, listen, you can't get off this plane without getting arrested. It's the only way off this plane. And I said, please, come on. I tried to plead. I understood her reasonableness. They said, we're not going anywhere. There's a chance we're going to taxi back into the gate. You already made that announcement over the speaker. Just let me out. But I was deemed not worthy of that kind of favor. What type of Savior is Jesus? Jesus is the type of Savior who not only hears of a need like this, and when we acknowledge that we're not worthy, he's the one who says, not only will I take you back into the gate, I'll also make sure you have an escort to get to where you need to be as quickly as possible. He's a Savior that never questions whether or not we're worthy. He never looks down on any of your requests and says, it's not worth my time, or you're not important enough for me to deviate from my plans. He never says that. He never counts you unworthy. And he sees in the centurion a man who acknowledges he's unworthy, and what happens when we come before him acknowledging that we too are unworthy? He becomes for us the very Savior we need. He says, by faith, you're the exact person that I want to give my time to, my worth, my, my joy to, and he heals this centurion's servant from afar, and he marvels at the centurion's faith, a faith that hopefully was sustained, and hopefully one day we'll meet this centurion. You see, what I'm trying to say is this. Jesus hears even the simplest cry of faith, the simplest plea. Even you, have, you who are sitting here saying, I only talk to God when I need a favor. But, God, I'm in that situation again. I need another favor. The Lord hears that. And he doesn't expect you to somehow clean yourself up and be worthy before him. He hears you say, I'm not worthy for you to listen to this. I've been a, I've been a wreck of a Christian up to this point. But hear me out, Lord. And as he listens, he never says, well, you're not worthy of my time. Never. What type of Savior is Jesus? He's a Savior who's not only willing, but he is also a Savior who is worthy and who counts you worthy of his time. He's a Savior who counts us worthy even when we know we're not. This is the exact type of Savior we're presented here. Third story, Matthew gives one more healing of a person, and this time it's Peter's mother-in-law. She's sick with a fever, and he goes and he touches her and she's healed. And then we get this summary of Jesus' healing ministry. It seems like virtually everyone in the area, there's a little clinic that starts and everyone's healed. The doctors are run out of business. And it's interesting, it's interesting, this third individual being healed, that we have two paradigms of what faith looks like that might be for us an important paradigm of what faith looks like. For the leper, it, it looks like boldly coming before the Lord, asking, are you willing? And for the centurion, it looks like, you know, acknowledging that he's not worthy and yet the, asking for the Lord's kindness. But what kind of faith do we see in Peter's mother-in-law? It's not that she's lacking faith, but it's not part of the story. Why? 
Because Jesus is being presented here as a Savior who's not only willing to rescue and deliver you from whatever mess you're in, and he not only counts you worthy of his time, but he's also eager to do it. I mean, isn't that what we see here? It's, it's almost like he's, he's manic. It's almost like he's, he's desperate to see everyone healed. He's not going to say no to everybody, and he's certainly got other things he needs to be doing. He is eager to bring healing wherever he goes. Listen, what, what I'm trying to say or what, I want to, what you reflect on is this. I know there's some in this room, especially there's some in this city, who really believe that God's natural disposition is that he's, he's ticked. You know, he's like a father with a migraine, you know, that he's just, he's just like about ready to snap at any moment. That, it, that it's his anger that, that sort of bleeds through his pores, that pushes out through his pores. I know this is how we think of our, our Heavenly Father, and I know this is how we think of our God. But Jesus has come to tell us that we've got it entirely wrong because throughout the Bible, it's God's anger that has to be provoked, not his mercy, not his kindness. That stuff comes out unprovoked. He's eager to rescue. He's eager to be kind to you. He's eager to save. Mercy, in some sense, is his instinct. Unfailing love bleeds from his pores. This is what I, I think this passage is trying to get us to see. He's the type of Savior who's eager to help. Stop treating Stop treating the God who created the heavens and the earth and made himself known in Jesus as some kind of father with a lingering migraine that you don't want to tick off. Sure, he's holy, and he's not to be messed with, but you're more than likely to catch him in a gracious mood than you ever understand. So cry out to him. Cry out to him. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you put yourself in his hands? He's eager to rescue and save in this particular passage, he's, he, saves, he rescues Peter's mother-in-law almost without anything, and she goes on to serving. He's eager. He's like, I don't know if you, I, I don't know a ton of people who are extremely wealthy, but I know a couple of them. And I'm always embarrassed when I go to the restaurant. Extremely wealthy people are some of the worst tippers in my experience, you know? There's nothing like bailing out your millionaire friend with a 20 behind his back because you're so embarrassed at how little tip they leave. That's not the way our Lord is. Our Lord is itching. Itching to be gracious, itching to be generous, itching to hear your prayers and to answer it in a way that you would have him answer if you knew all that he knew. I promise you, this is the God you consistently find. It's his anger that has to be stirred up and provoked, but his mercy, his loving kindness is forever. What does Matthew want us to see? What kind of Savior do we need and do we find in Jesus? We find a Savior who is willing to rescue us, a Savior who counts us worthy to rescue and a Savior who's eager to rescue us. Now, time doesn't permit, but Matthew ends this passage with a summary, saying Jesus did all this to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah had said. And then Matthew probably gives his own translation of the Hebrew from Isaiah 53, verse 4. Now, you'll have to talk to someone like Patrick, who's doing his PhD in Isaiah, to fully understand what's going on here. But what's incredible is this. Usually when we think of Isaiah 53, we think of Jesus' substitutionary death to atone for our sins, his dying on the cross so that the penalty of our sins is absorbed in his act and then we find forgiveness. But what we find here is that Matthew's been reflecting on Isaiah 53 and he's been reflecting on the role that God's Savior would come into this world and be. And he realizes this, that Jesus came not only to forgive us of our sins, as wonderful as that is, but he came to take disease and affliction upon himself. He came to be fully human and to absorb not only just our sin, but the consequences of our sin. The most painful being death and sickness. And on the cross, he absorbed that so that, 
so that he can consummate and begin a kingdom where sickness is no more, where all of these things are being undone. This is what type of Savior we have in Jesus. He's come to rescue us not only in spirit but in body. He's come promising us a kingdom where all will be made well in Jesus Christ, a kingdom where sin will no longer plague us and death will be no more. What type of Savior do we need? A Savior who's willing to rescue us, who counts us worthy, and a Savior who's eager to rescue. Let me pray. Our Father, we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, our Savior, to be for us the very Savior that we need. And I know, Father, in a room like this, there are people battling through things like debilitating anxiety, sicknesses that seem to not go away, haunting diagnoses. diagnoses. Father, we long for you to come back and make all things right. We put ourselves in your hand and trust your timing in all this. But we thank you that in Jesus Christ, we know we have a Savior who will make all things right. And on the last day, we will look back and say, praise be to him. We thank you for Jesus. We pray, Father, that you would hear us in our seasons of desperation, forgive us of our many sins, and even heal us and make us well, if not now, in the age to come. We, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca.